Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Live by what you know. The whole premise of this message can pretty much be summed up in this statement. If we base our walk with Christ on our feelings, then our Christian walk will be as volatile as our emotions. I'm going to say it again. If we base our walk with Christ on our feelings, then our Christian walk will be as volatile as our emotions. Because our emotions can lift us up one day and let us down the next. That's why it's important to have a constant in our life. That's why it's important to be connected to someone who is consistent. The Bible said that God doesn't change. He never changes. Now, we change. Oh, no, Pastor, I've never... Go get your family album and look at some pictures from 20 or 30 years ago and then tell me you don't change. Because I'll promise you that the person that's looking at you in the mirror this morning is not the same look from 20 years ago. I mean, some of us had brown hair, dark hair. Now mine's gray. Some of your hair just went on vacation. It's gone. I don't know where, you know, it's not there anymore. I mean, things change, you know. And like I said in the first service, some of you ladies, dear Lord, there's nobody knows what color your hair is. It's been so long since we've seen the, you know, things change. Life changes things. Things change. But here's the thing. God doesn't change. He does not change. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 that God's promises are yea and amen unto the glory of God. So that means that God's promises are yes and no. What was yes yesterday is probably yesterday. What was no yesterday is no. God does not change. God remains consistent and God remains the same. So when we talk about living by what we know, we need to be able to sink our teeth into some of the truths of God's Word that teaches us what we know. Because our emotions are going to go up and down. You know, we're going to experience life. We're going to be worked over by life. There are things that's going to happen to us in life, but there are just a few things that we know. Now, there's a lot more than what I'm going to share with you today, but I have three things that I put down today to try to encourage you about live by what you know. Number one, you ready for this? I know that God loves me and that he's never going to stop loving me. I want you to remember that. So simple today, such a simple message. I want you to remember that no matter where you go, what you do, what you get yourself into, what trouble you get yourself into, you need to know that God loves you and he's never going to stop loving you. Several years ago, a student in seminary class stood to his feet and announced to the professor, he said, I don't believe in God. First of all, what are you doing in seminary if you don't believe in God? So the professor, just a little bit disheveled, he replied to him, well, describe this God that you don't believe in. And the student described an unlovely, vengeful God. And then the professor said, well, I don't believe in that God either. I believe that God is love. 
that He is the essence of love. Just like He said in John chapter 3, verse 16, our springboard scripture where the Bible said, For God so loved the world. Now think about that. For God so loved the world. The Bible could have said that God loved the world, but the, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That means that God has a longing for the world. He loves the world and He longs to pour His power out upon them. He longs to give them salvation. He longs for them to experience Him in the power of His resurrection and like the Bible said, the fellowship or the koinonia, the partnership of His suffering. He longs for the world to experience the benefits of partnership with Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. God loves the world. God loves you if you like Chinese food. God loves you if you like chitlins. <laughs> and everybody that said chitlins said amen, Pastor. Amen. I'm praying for you guys after church. I don't know why anybody would like chitlins. No matter what color you are, no matter what color you are, no matter what you speak out of your mouth, what language you speak, no matter what part of the world that you live in, no matter what culture you come from, God still loves you enough and he is so in love with you that he sent his son Jesus to die on Calvary so that you could be saved. Now, that just solidifies the truth that God loves me and he's always going to keep loving me. He's never going to stop loving me. But then verse number 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Now let me say it like this. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a message of condemnation, but it is a message that produces conviction. It's not a message of condemnation, but it's a message that produces conviction because the message of the gospel of Jesus will convict the world of sin, of unrighteousness. But God's love is so unconditional that even in the midst of conviction, he will not condemn because he's not a God of condemnation. Now, I did a little study on the unconditional love of God, just a short study, and I thought, well, if I could find two or three scriptures that would go along with this idea that, you know, God's love is unconditional, that would be wonderful and that would be great. Well, I did about a 15-minute study real quick like on it, and I found in 15 minutes about 93 scriptures, and I stopped. 93 scriptures on the unconditional love of God. God really does love you. He really does. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our disease, in the midst of our mess-ups and our hang-ups and all of these things, God really 
does love us. Now, all these scriptures could pretty much be summed up in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 where the Bible said, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that God loved you so much, He was willing to take a chance on your relationship, uh, on having a relationship with you by sending His Son Jesus to die on Calvary so that you could be set free. And when the Bible said that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, when He said He commended His love towards us, then what that means is He pinned His love on us. Let me, let me kind of explain it like this. Have you ever been in a ceremony where a soldier received a commendation for something? His leader, the captain, the president, or whoever, will actually pin that condemnation on his coat. And in every formal ceremony from that day forward, he wears that pin, and when people see that pin, they remember the day that he received that commendation from his leader. You know what God said? God said, I love you so much that I am willing to pin you with my love. I'm going to put the commendation of my love upon you so when people see you, they'll see my love. When people see you, they'll experience my love. I'm going to pin you with that love. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, such a powerful passage of Scripture. Some of you are familiar with it if you study your Bible at all. Here's what the Bible says about God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We'll talk about that in a few moments. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, before we shout here for just a moment, I want to kind of point something out to you out of this scripture. The Bible did not say that these things would not try to separate you from the love of Christ. You see, we're not exempt from the battle. We just know in the midst of it, we win. Amen. So, you know, there might be people that come along and they might be threatening with death and they, there might be someone that comes along and falsely prophesies a word to you and there might be other principalities and different powers that come against you and, and try to separate you from the love of Christ. There might be things that happen, but the Bible said that they would not be able to do it. So here's the confidence that we have. No matter what I go through, no matter what I face, no matter what trouble that I get in, no matter how difficult it is, God's love will still be poured out on me because that's just how God's love is. If there's one thing I know, I know that God loves me and God's never going to stop loving me. 
Come on, touch your neighbor and say, God loves you. Come on, and then tell him he's never going to stop. Better get used to it. He's never going to stop. Second thing that I want to share with you today, the second thing that, that we know, I have three things I'm trying to share with you today, that expounding on. I'll share a few more, but three things I'm expounding on. So the second thing that I want to share with you today is not only do I know that God loves me and he's never going to stop loving me, the second thing I want to share is that Jesus is alive. I know it. I know that Jesus is alive. Job chapter 19 verses 25 through 27 tells the story where Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. In the midst of his trouble, in the midst of his trial, when he had lost everything, when his life, wife had looked at him and said, how long do you retain your integrity, curse God and die? When his children had been killed by hurricanes and whirlwinds that came, when his cattle had been destroyed, when all of his wealth was gone, when his friends, they call him Job's comforters. I don't know why they call him Job's comforters. They ought to call him Job's accusers. But they're sitting around trying to figure out what bad thing he did to bring this on himself. And so after all of these things, now he's sitting there, he's got boils, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, he's got skin worms and he's cutting himself with, with broken pieces of pottery to get the skin worms out so his, his, he doesn't die because of that. In the midst of all of this, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And then that he shall stand in the latter day upon this earth and one of these days, if skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, which these eyes shall behold, and not another. What he was saying is, I've read the back of the book. I know no matter what I go through, no matter what trouble I get in, I know that I win because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that he is alive is the reason that we have hope. Now, if Jesus was still in the grave, if he was still decomposing, if he was still nothing but bones and ashes, then this would be a totally different story. But he's not. After three days, he rose again, conquering death and, and hell and the grave, and he ascended up into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible said, ever living to make intercession for you and I. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He's alive. Now, as the time of Christ's return draws nearer and nearer, we will be defending this message more and more. The message of the cross of Jesus, the message of the resurrection, and we need to be prepared to defend this message more and more. I want to read out of the Amplified Bible this morning, out of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and let's see if I can get back to it here. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse number 12. And this is in the Amplified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and begin in verse number 12. Now, I want you to know and continue to rest assured, brethren, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has actually only served to advance and give a renewed impetus to the spreading of the good news, the gospel. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he was saying, you know what, they arrested me for preaching the message of Jesus Christ, for preaching the gospel. And I want you to know, brethren, that this has actually, rather than stopping 
it has served to advance the message of the gospel. So much is this a fact that throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest here, my imprisonment has become generally known to be in Christ that I am a prisoner in his service and for him. So what the world meant for punishment, God meant for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have the imperial guard. That was the elite guard. You have the imperial guard there that's supposed to be guarding him and dueling out the punishment that he's supposed to be having. And he's here and all of a sudden they become converts. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. As time goes on, right here in the United States of America, things are changing. And as time goes on, I want you to realize that we're getting to the point now in our society and in this country where we're going to have to just quit talking about standing up for Jesus Christ. There are going to be times when we're going to actually have to do it. We're going to have to stand up and say, you know, put me in the camp of Jesus. Put me in the camp of the Christians. And when they take us and when they throw us in prison for preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ like they're doing in other countries right now, when they take and throw us in prison for preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of sitting in a corner and wondering, oh my Lord, what in the world? God, if you really loved me, why did you let them do Instead of doing that, why don't you just tell the guard about Jesus? Why don't you start a prison ministry from inside the prison? Get everybody saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and on their, on their way. So when the trumpet sounds, people will be looking around. There won't be nobody there. They all went up. See, we can sit around in our sour milk all day long if we want to. We have a choice. Or we can say, Lord, I'm going to shine for you no matter where I end up. Verse number 14, also most of the brethren have derived fresh confidence in the Lord because of my chains and are much more bold to speak and publish fearlessly the word of God, acting with more freedom and indifference to the consequences. So what he was saying there was, you know what? They put me in here. They thought I was, they were going to shut me up. But actually it has inspired other people to, to preach with more Confidence, And so they're preaching with more confidence. And then in verse number 15, it says this, Some, it is true actually, preach Christ the Messiah for no better reason than out of envy and rivalry. They have a party spirit, but others are doing so out of a loyal spirit and goodwill. So he was saying basically anything that the Lord does, the devil has a counterfeit for. Listen, I'm all about letting God move on us. I'm all about letting the power of God move on us. And if God wants to move on us, that's wonderful and that's great. But one thing that I do not want to let this church become is a place where there is a party spirit. Now, we can have a Holy Ghost party anytime. But the party spirit is, is what he's talking. And so he said, some people are just coming along and they're with the counterfeit. And, they're and he said, but then there's other people who speak out of a loyal spirit and goodwill. And then verse 16, he said, the latter, those with the loyal spirit and goodwill, proclaim Christ out of love because they recognize and know that I am providentially put here for the defense of the gospel, for the defense of the good news. So as time goes on, and Christ's return draws closer and closer, we will have to defend more and more the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the reality of the resurrection, and the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want you to go with me, please, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. And we're just going to touch on this. Galatians chapter 2, and I want to read 10 verses there. And we'll do this out of the KJV. Paul was explaining that the same God that called Peter to the Jews was the same God that called him to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 2. He said, the, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated with them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But what Paul was saying here when he was writing to the Galatian church was, you don't preach the same to everybody. It's the same message, but the method is different. So in other words, I can go preach to the Gentiles, and that's totally different than when I'm sitting down and talking to the leaders of the Jews. Some people have a problem with that. They think they ought to be able to run wild and buck and grunt and, and, and you know, in, in the middle of some kind of a, a meeting out here where no one will understand at all what's going on. And the Bible addresses this and says that many times we turn people away because of things like that from the message of the gospel. In a believer's meeting, it's totally different than it is when we're out there trying to win lost people to Jesus. So he goes on and he says, you know, basically he said, I was ministering by revelation to those which were Gentiles, but then I had to go privately to those that were not. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So what the apostle was saying here was that in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of the proclamation of the gospel, in the midst of the defense of the gospel, in the midst of communicating the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you start having some success, the devil will send people in to try to stop what God is trying to build. And he said, don't give place to them, not even for an hour. Well, how does that apply to me, Pastor? Listen, don't you ever let anyone steal from you the experience that you received from Christ the day you gave your life to him. Don't let people talk you out of your salvation. Don't let people talk you out of your miracle. Don't let people talk you out of your call. I don't care if they come to you prophesying. Speaking in tongues, pouring a whole bottle of oil over top of your head. First of all, if somebody pours a whole bottle of oil on top of your head, it's because you let them. <laughs> Nobody messing up my hair like that. <laughs> but of those who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. So they ganged up on me, but they added nothing to me. So I didn't give them space. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So Paul was saying, God called me to the Gentiles. God called Peter to the Jews. That's what he said. 
For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So basically they said, you know what? I recognize this as the anointing. I recognize this. And he was submitting himself to the spiritual leaders that God had placed over the New Testament church and they sent workers with him and helped him and said, okay, you go to the heathen or to the Gentiles and we'll go to the Jews. And verse number 10, only they, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So what are you trying to say, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. Not every single, not every one of us have the same call. God may call me to certain kinds of people. God may call you to certain kinds of people. God may call me to ten buck two Hudson, Florida. I mean Hudson, Florida. <laughs> Seemed like ten buck two when we when we got here. Amen, Rita. Yes. It sure did. Then we just fell in love with it. But it seemed that way. God may take you and send you across the sea. God might take you and send you across the street. God may take you and send you to the next county over. But God's got a plan for you. And don't let people talk you out of it. You're never going to preach like I do. Whatever you do, whatever God called you to do, you're going to do better than I could do if I tried to be you. Because that's the call of God for your life. So you're never going to preach like me. You're going to preach like you. You're going to minister like you. Don't put yourself under the pressure of trying to be something that you're not. Paul was saying, God called me to the Gentiles just like God called Peter to the Jews. And the apostles began to recognize the fact that, hey, wait a minute, there's something going on here. And it all boiled down to the message of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I know that Jesus is alive. The third thing and the last thing I'm going to share with you today takes us back to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37 where the Bible said, And all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Number one, not only do I know that God loves me and he's never going to stop loving me. Number two, not only do I know that Jesus is alive. Number three, here's what I know. I know that when all is said and done, I win. Come on. Fist pump your neighbor and say, you win. Come on. Do it again. Say, winner, 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 winner. Come on. You're a winner, winner. You're a winner. <laughs> now, let me expound on this just for a few moments here, okay? Albert Barnes' commentary out of Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37, breaks it down like this. He said, Nay, where the Bible said, Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nay, it means notwithstanding our severe pressures and trials. Okay? Notwithstanding our severe pressures and trials, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. No matter what the pressure is, no matter what the trial is, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. I might look busted up. I might look bloodied up. I might look broken up. 
I might look like I'm running out of gas. I might look like I'm all bleeding and everything spiritually speaking. I may look that way, but the bottom line is every time you knock me down, I have to get back up because there's something inside of me that says you already won this thing. God has won it for you. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. And then he goes on, he said, in all these things, in the very midst of them, while we are enduring them, we are still able to triumph. I want you to always remember that you win. No matter what happens, you win. No matter what the doctor says, you win. No matter what the bank account says, you win. No matter what the, what the family person says, you win. You win. In the end, we win. The worst thing you can do to me is the best thing you can do to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57, because I'm trying to get through this. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, God gave us the victory. And then it goes on. It says, we are more than conquerors. I'm going to read this to you. This cranked me up. Of course, I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm kind of into theology. And this might not crank you like it did me, but it cranked me in my office. Our Albert Barnes put it like this when he said we are more than conquerors. It, it means we gain the victory. That is, they have not power to subdue us, to alienate our love and confidence or to produce apostasy. We are the victors, not they. Our faith is not destroyed. Our love is not diminished. Our hope is not blasted. It's not a simple victory, and it's not just mere life and continence of what we had before. It is more than a simple triumph. It's the kind of a triumph that augments our faith, increases our strength, and expands our love to Jesus Christ. More than a conqueror. Through him that loves us. The battle was designed to augment my faith. That means to bring out my faith, to shine light on my faith, to, to cause the faith to become stronger and, and brighter. It increases my strength. So go ahead, devil, hit me again because when I come up, I'm coming up stronger. Knock me down, devil, if you think you can. But when I get back up, you better have some backup because I'm getting up and when I come back, I'm coming back stronger. It increases our strength. The battle was not designed to destroy you. The battle was designed to promote you. Hallelujah. Increasing our strength. You break a bone, and I know because I've broken a few. You break a bone, they put that bone back together, and they'll tell you that when it grows back together, it's stronger than it was before it was broken. Why? Because every part of the body, every part that can, rushes to that part to create the healing. 
What the devil doesn't know is the minute that he just plows you right in the nose and knocks you down, what he's doing is he is accelerating God's move and God's work inside of you. The body of Christ is rushing to you, making you stronger and stronger and stronger. And one of these days when you stand up and stand toe-to-toe to him, he's going to cower and slither back in the corner like this because he realizes greater is he that is in him than he that's in the world. And no weapon formed against that man going to prosper. There'll come a time when the devil will just start saying, you know what, I'm going to leave him alone because every time I hit him, he just gets up and wins a whole bunch more people to Jesus Christ. Let me give you a a perfect example. Perry Stone just about lost his son. We've known them for a long time. He just about lost his son to drugs. And he sat there in that hospital room Touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. And something came alive inside of Perry and he said, the devil's going to pay for this. And God rescued and saved his son and he's working with him in the ministry. But what did he do? He started the Omega Center that ministers to young people. Thousands of young people from around the world come there and train for the ministry. The devil don't need to be messing with you because what might happen is he might propel you into a place of productive ministry. So I want to encourage you. You win. You're more than a conqueror. It it increases our strength. And in the process of this, it expands our love to Christ. The word used here is a strong, emphatic expression which is used with great force and appropriateness. So nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You win. So among the many things that I know, and you stick to what you know, okay? But among the many things that I know, number one, I know that God loves me and he's never going to stop loving me. Number two, I know Jesus is alive. Which, which makes the gospel message the message for today. He's the only one that's alive. Buddha's dead. I mean, they, they put up great big old, you know, statues of him. Rub the belly, rub the belly. You're just rubbing porcelain. What, do you think a genie's going to pop out or something? He's dead. Buddha's dead. Reverend Moon is dead. Hira Krishna is dead. Muhammad is dead. Jesus is alive. Woo! Yeah, we win. Hey, high five your neighbor and say, true that. True that. True that. Jesus is alive. Now, let me close. I want to encourage you to go vote. Not going to tell you who to vote for? Go vote. Now, here's what I want you to hear even louder than that. On Wednesday, keep loving each other. No matter. No matter. Just keep keep loving each other. 
And here's the thing that I want you to remember out of this message. We got to stick by what we know, not by what we feel. But if we keep doing the right thing long enough, we'll start feeling what we knew we would feel. So stick by what you know, not by what you feel. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.